welcome to the Business Banter and Bourbon Podcast with your hosts, Ben and Tom. That's it. Payrolls in. No, yeah. that's not yeah. it. Yes, it's, it is. It's this Updated one. It's Friday, this one. December. No, this is it. Non-farm payrolls up 263 for the month. That's the pay. That's the latest and greatest payrolls. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but you have this one too, don't you? I have both, yeah. Okay. He's got both both okay. tabs. See, okay. both have both tabs. Okay. I can, you know you can open multiple <laughs> websites at a time. When did they invent that? <laughs> it's like 15 years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. You've come a, come a long way in your lifetime with the internet, haven't you? It went from non-existent to, it did. to dial up, you know, the... You know, the... That deal. Yeah, the, the, the dial, the, the old... The, Ameri- you've got mail. The America yeah. Online, you've got mail. <laughs> You listen to it screeching. I mean, it didn't exist when I was born either, technically. It wasn't publicly released until... It was not. 92, I think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah you it was all It was all government. But yeah. 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 But it, I don't really ever have any memories without the internet, you know? During, well, no, yeah. during the formative yeah. years of our childhood, there was... No. Um, you know, there was there was internet and um, Encarta ninety five. I don't know if you you remember that. Encarta that, Encarta ninety five. Encarta. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was like a, a huge basis for childhood learning. Remember that? I mean, on that old computer, we had that compact oh, Presario. Oh, that was a great computer. I love that thing. Um, jungle fever or whatever that was. Jungle, you know, what jungle was that? fever. Jungle fever. Was jungle spelling. Jungle spelling. Jungle. Spelling jungle. Spelling jungle. Jungle. Jungle fever. Yeah, my kids have been playing a lot of jungle fever. Jungle fever. Oh, that is hilarious. Yeah. Well, we just had the 30th anniversary of the first text. Is text that right? Message. Yep. The 30th anniversary of the first text message the ever first sent. first text message. Yep. Yep. 1992. Really? Yep. They could send text messages back then. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, they were very good, but yeah. They, yeah, they did send You them. had to hit the one, 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 <laughs> three, three. <laughs> it's, it's always funny think, looking back on that, that technology, because I remember when you described to us what the first computers were like, it, it, did just, it didn't comprehend in my brain at all that they were the size of a room, and you had to, like, print off like a punch card type punch card. thing absolutely punch cards like it was like braille or something like that is yeah. what i envisioned in my head yeah. and then you'd feed it in to the terminal that's right it was like a key punch thing that they had to go through yeah yeah you that's, see see there it is right there see there it is right there we had a lot of hanging <laughs> chads back in the day a lot of like... hanging chads look at that it's ridiculous and yeah. you you look at that and like... i i'm still i'm still baffled like i intellectually understand how that computer works but to me it's just preposterous why would you ever use that sort of a thing uh, for any computing oh, that, whatsoever, that I mean, was very advanced. And <laughs> back in the day, I mean, other than that, that, we had to use you know yeah. uh, comptrometers. You don't, you don't know what yeah. that is, but we had that and slide yeah. rules. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's, that's how you did your math. Yeah, back in the day. But <laughs> <laughs> reminiscing, oh there it is. Comp- yeah. Yeah. yes, there it is. The comptometer. Well, in in reminiscing on our on our old technology, we're sipping on a little a little Four Roses bourbon today, um, and boy, is this pleasant and nice. 
um, I gotta, it, I gotta say, it is, it, it is. is did we have this yesterday? We had a little sampler of this yesterday, along with the seventeen ninety two, which we'll do on a subsequent podcast. Tastes better today than it did yesterday. It 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 does. Aged another day. Maybe it maybe it oxidized a little bit, got a little little fresh air in that bottle because yeah, it's it's really pleasant. But their website here is is gorgeous. Um, I really liked Elijah Craig's, but this has just a wealth of information on it. Uh, four roses bourbon dot com they're very transparent with their process how they're making it um they have a really good menu of of cocktails and mixers that they recommend with their bourbons but they also publish their mash bills which i thought is really interesting which is just the formula of grains that they are using to make their bourbons and they use two mash bills um what's published on the website it looked like there was um a mash bill b which is 60 percent corn 35 percent rye and five percent malted barley so a pretty high percentage of rye in that mash bill b formula Mm -hmm. and then they have another formula mash bill e which is 75 percent corn 20 percent rye and five percent malted barley and those two mash bills they each combine with five different kinds of yeast. So you get 10 different individual bourbons. So they have 10 bourbon recipes, five yeasts times two mash bills gives you 10. Um, And what we're drinking um, is is just the, um, the blend. So the Four Roses, this is a blend of all 10 of the individual bourbons that they make from both mash bills with five the five oh, different variety of yeasts. Gotcha. So this this bourbon actually has a lot going on in it. I it mean, if really you taste does. it, mash bill E and mash bill B. Yeah, and that's and, interesting. Sixty percent corn. The now the yeasts uh, those are not proprietary yeasts. I wouldn't imagine, right? That's just standard. I don't believe so, yeast. but they they don't they don't say much about so that. I guess at this point, there's really not much proprietary in. Bourbon manufacturing is there? It's a pretty I mean, well established it's a process. Well established process. You just don't know the the specific percentages of all the ingredients. That's right, and they they list them here. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Wow. And they also they also share the flavors um, and the notes that you get. So in Mash Bill B, for example, they say leads with delicate fruit and rye, uh, rye and baking spice, rich fruit, um, uh, floral characters, and then uh, rye and mint. And then in Mash Bill E, uh, you get more delicate fruit and caramel, baking spice, rich fruit and vanilla delicate grains and floral character and herbs and mint. Um, so with this, there's kind of a lot going on because we have all 10 of the individual bourbons blended into this one bottle here. So you can get a little bit of everything depending on your palate. You can get a little bit of fruit, which is what I get when I drink this one. I, I don't know about you, but this feels kind of kind of on the, the fruitier side to me. Um, pretty darn good nonetheless i don't get a lot of vanilla i don't taste a whole lot of spice um, I, don't, I don't uh i don't pick up any vanilla i, I do get the floral I, I have more floral here than i do hmm. fruit or spice but uh yeah <clears throat> but this one um this one looks looks really good um it tastes great like i said this is an 80 proof um a nice blend here and they also advertise a small batch um, a single barrel, uh, which of course would just be one type of bourbon, not a blend. Um, and then they have the Four Roses small batch, um, which is a, a blend of six. Um, 
all aged a minimum of five years. Um, so you're, you're really getting some, some nice oaky notes kind of, kind of in the scent on the nose, which is great. Um, this is the 1888, right? That's correct. That's okay. Yep. This is correct. The 1888. Yes. Thank you. So they don't have to label that as blended then, huh? Cause I don't see blended anywhere. It's a straight bourbon. It's uh Lawrence it's, Berg, Kentucky. This is a this is a, this is a quality bourbon. Um, I picked this up. I believe it was only about twenty seven bucks. Oh wow! For this that's bottle. a great price point. This yeah. this is a value. It is this bar this bourbon. This yeah. is this is a great sipper. Look Not at, gonna bust the budget. Look on at this the thing. shapes on some of those bottles too. That's they're pretty cool. This one's just more of a standard bourbon bottle. And this, what, what's the proof on that? It's, uh, is it 80? This one's an 80. 80 yep. proof. This okay. one's an 80 okay. that we're enjoying. Yep. Yeah. So a little bit lighter. You know, some of them are 90, 96. It is. More, yeah, yeah, it's not like that, <clears throat> whoa, single barrel strength that, right. you, <laughs> that you can sometimes get. But this, uh, this is pretty darn nice. Now, what is um, that you're doing there, Alex? You're you're selecting a certain bourbon based on your taste. Yeah. These they have these sliders here on the website. You can kind of move around. Creamy, fruity, floral. Oh, this is magnificent. That's great. And then they'll they'll come up with the uh, particular bourbon that fits. Oh, your this uh, gives you cocktails based on those sliders. Oh, that you can make, so. okay, okay. Yeah, that's really cool. A mint julep. Well, this is great. Fantastic I, website. I love is, this website. This is a, a library of information mm -hmm. right here on, yeah. on bourbon. Yeah, that's very helpful. Creamy. What? Uh, what is? Cr <laughs> yeah, that's in the mix. So we'll see. Yeah. So the, yeah. 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 <laughs> never heard of a creamy bourbon. so it looks like the criteria here are floral fruitiness creaminess um uh co alcohol content and then spice and you can adjust those to your your palate mm -hmm. preference mm -hmm. and hit submit and you can get a nice little customized recommendation here so mm -hmm. yeah check it out uh four roses bourbon.com this mm -hmm. one is a winner yeah great choice love it We'll do it again. Okay. All right. I think uh, I think you had some market stuff you wanted to you wanted yeah, to talk about I, before we go into the options special here. Yeah. Before we get into the fun part of about the options trades, um, let's talk a little bit about the new data that came out. Um, interesting stuff. The uh, the jobs number was the one that really I think piqued everyone's interest because we actually added. 263,000 jobs, I believe it was. So, um, you know, uh, businesses are still adding, adding employment. Bit of a conundrum then here. We see, by all indication, everything points to the fact that inflation is coming down. But yet, businesses still seem to be somewhat robust, and the fact that they're hiring indicates that... Uh, you know, you know, their view of things is still very positive. So you kind of wonder where we go from the employment standpoint. And I had mentioned this in one of the previous podcasts. You know, maybe we don't settle in at a 2% inflation rate that the Fed is targeting. Maybe we're something higher than that as the real natural inflation rate. Maybe it's 3%. And this whole employment thing maybe shakes out that, mm, 
you know, maybe the unemployment rate uh, has to be a little bit higher as well. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think you're right, particularly on the inflation point, because um, it does feel like we are reaching the plateauing stage. Now, um, I, I do say that conditionally because, you know, with the U.S. dollar starting to go down, I don't know what effect that will eventually have in the numbers. But, you know, a falling U.S. dollar obviously is going to be a problem for imported commodities, mm -hmm. imported products over time. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, though, it, it is it is clear in the numbers we are starting to see a plateauing and a, and a, and a moderation of inflation, which is great. Um, but, you know, the, the monthly job data uh, seemed to be what markets really gravitated to. And we're still in this good news is bad news cycle in Wall Street, where I don't know if you saw before the opening bell when the job numbers came out and they beat estimates. Dow futures tanked about 400 points within a matter of two minutes. Um, as a re yeah, as, as yes. a result of that, mm -hmm. um, now now that's that's you know so so counterintuitive. Eventually, good news will be good news again. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the information on non-farm payrolls, we added two hundred sixty-three thousand jobs. Unemployment rate stayed the same, but the one wrinkle I saw yet again was the labor force participation rate ticked right. down, which is always a red flag because how can you be creating jobs when at the same time you have a smaller number of people available in the labor force to do those yeah. jobs yeah. to me that continues to imply that we're seeing more second job takers third job takers people you know doing multiple gigs picking up you know jobs as an uber driver on the side or whatever it may be um and i think we should continue to expect actually some firmness in the labor market um, because people are going to be forced back into work um, and and take on additional jobs as long as demand for some of these service sector jobs is still it's there, still there. Yeah. Um, to, to make ends meet. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, <clears throat> two points there. Uh, one, you mentioned people working two jobs. The last report, and I couldn't find it in this one at all, but the last report indicated that there were 7 million people working two jobs from the last report. Is that right? Right, 7 million. So to your point, maybe that number is a little bit higher now uh, because where are these people coming from? Um, <clears throat> so, you know, again, we got this kind of a quandary in the employment-unemployment arena, um, and it's going to be a little bit puzzling as to where that really needs to settle out. The other piece that confused me a bit here was, and you mentioned it here, um, the unemployment rate, the 3.7%, that didn't change at all. But there's now 263,000 more people working or in jobs. So you would think that that unemployment number should drop if the labor participation rate stays the same. So what's going on here is very puzzling. I just don't understand it. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think as, as we're seeing the um, labor force participation rate go down, in normal times, what that would imply is that unemployment should actually fall with it 
because you have less, you have yeah. more people out of the labor force. The labor so the force. government says, okay, well, you're out of the labor force. You're not looking. We're not going to count you We're as unemployed. You're, mm-hmm. you know, doing your own thing, whatever right. it may be. Right. Um, we continue to see that dynamic here, which maybe that's artificially keeping a lid on um, the employment rate going much higher right now, right? We saw the labor force participation dip down. Unemployment stayed steady at 3.7%. But again, you know, 0.1%, a 0.1% tick down in the labor force participation rate is a lot of people. you know, what does that work out to? I, I can't do the math off off the top of my head. It's several hundred thousand people for sure. Right. Um, and yet we now have 263,000 more jobs. Yeah. Yeah. I know. We're increasing the job concentration rate among people who have jobs. That to me is, is what this spells. And that doesn't feel great. Um, well, <laughs> especially if people are doing it out of desperation or the fact that they just can't pay their bills. Yeah. Yeah. Again, the fact that, uh, you know, businesses are still, you know, offering jobs to people indicates that there's a real need for that. And again, the inflation number, uh, maybe does not need to be down to 3% mm-hmm. or 2%. It maybe needs to be a little bit higher because, you know, think about that. If you're a, a restaurant owner. Right, and your business is going really well, and you need to hire two waitresses. Well, because Chairman Paul wants to cut back on the numbers of job offerings, you know, you know, to get his inflation number back in balance. That doesn't mean I still don't need those two waitresses. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to need to hire them some way or another. Um, but now they get the quandary of well, interest rates going up, my borrowing costs are higher to high, you know, I, I have a bigger borrowing cost. I can't really afford to hire those two more waitresses, but I need them. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's a bit of a pickle. Mm-hmm. It is, and I I think you're right about um, about the new normalization of a potentially slightly elevated inflation rate. You know, maybe it is three percent. Maybe it is four percent. Maybe that those goalposts are going to be moving, and we'll have the the mission accomplished moment before the the war is really won. But it was interesting. I don't know if you saw Bank of America had a note out um, this weekend where they said for developed economies, once the inflation rate breaches five percent, which hello, that's where we are. It takes on average 10 years for inflation to get back down to a two to sub slightly sub 2% level on average. So yeah, yeah, maybe we will say, you know what, we're going to live with 3% or we're going to live with 4%. Yeah. You know, I I, I had mentioned this before. I I would just love to see the math as to where they came up with the 2% target. I mean, you just think about the economy growing at a three to four to five percent clip. Two percent seems very low to me in terms of real inflation. I mean, some inflation is good. We need it. Businesses need it. That gives them the opportunity to raise prices. And you know, as long as it doesn't get out of whack, so you have a ten, twelve percent inflation rate. That's when things get challenging. But 
you know, three, four percent, maybe, maybe we can live with that. And it, by all indications, again, it looks as though we can. Everything else is coming down. All goods are coming down in terms of inflation. Mm. The sticky one is services. That's those are still higher priced, yeah. and that's not really changing much. But goods have come down. And uh, Paul mentioned something in his his comments after his speech this week that um, you know this was a supply driven inflation that we got into here and you know where is it now there are no supply issues there are none microprocessors are out there we've got more cars being manufactured everything is being manufactured on time there are no shortages in the stores so that piece is now gone the supply shift that occurred you know during this the, the whole covid thing and everything the, the curve has now come back down to where it was at equilibrium. Mm-hmm. The difference is the demand curve shifted out mm-hmm. and has not come back because of all that money that we dumped into people's pockets. So how do you get that demand curve back down? Well, they believe it's through tighter credit. I think you just sit and let it go. It'll come back into balance over time. And we're starting to see that too with people now out there searching for jobs you know, they're, they're tightening up. They're not spending as much as they did. They certainly, we had a great, uh, you know, Black Friday and Cyber Monday, but, um, you know, I think there is, there is going to be some pullback. We'll take a look. We'll take a look at it. And, you know, I, I think, I think you're right about the, on the service side too. And it looks like that's where a lot of the jobs were created, uh, yeah. this, this past month as well, too. Let me um, throw this one out. Maybe that's going to be the last domino another, to fall. Here, this is another article. I just read, um, Outplacement firm Challenger, Gray, and Christmas reported that planned, now get this, planned layoffs increased 127% on a monthly basis in November and were up 417% from a year ago. That's planned layoffs. They haven't gone through with it yet, but... You know, they've got the powder in the gun and ready to shoot if things don't start to stabilize from the interest rate standpoint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Companies will pull the trigger, and we could see massive layoffs. Is that necessary? <laughs> well, it might be because I, you know, I'm, I'm on record that we are in recession. Um, you know, a couple podcasts ago, Alex asked, well, if we're not in a recession, when will we be? Well, everyone ignored that we had negative GDP in Q1 and Q2 back-to-back quarters is defined as a recession, but no one seemed willing to admit that. But the jobs are always the lagging indicator. Yes. By the right. time the job market blows up, it's too late. Because we're already we, there. We know yeah. we are in recession. Yeah. That is always the last thing yeah. to be consulting. Um, you know, and, and yeah, you know, companies, I mean, the, the early birds, uh, those are at the tip of the spear. They're doing it now. Big tech, right. these fintech firms right. uh, that have gotten absolutely whacked, they're the ones, um, you know, where we really start to see all these effects first. But that is going to trickle through everywhere, which is why. The stock market rallying <laughs> mm-hmm. on the hope <laughs> that the job job reports will be weak, right? Because that means the Fed will be at the end of their hiking cycle. Right. Is the height of insanity? <laughs> because when people are out of work, they are probably not going to be spending and buying things. 
Exactly. That is not good for economic activity. It's right. like you look right. you look at the market action. It's yeah. completely yeah. bamboozling right. on this hope that like it's only about the Fed, yeah. when in reality what we're going to see is something far worse than what the Fed has done. We're going to see a broke consumer who probably now will not be able to rely on a Republican Congress for relief. No more handouts. I mean, the, the debt bomb, you know, is, is still ticking yeah, out there, yeah. um, you know, and, and that's why I'm, I'm always just baffled what, how we got sucked into this good news is bad news um, uh, market cycle and yeah. the opposite bad news yeah. is good news yeah. for equities. So, Well, to me, this is a frightening number. I mean, to, to think that, you know, planned layoffs, they haven't done them yet, like I say, but planned 127% increase from a month ago. That is scary as hell. But, you know, what What I think this will um, maybe present for investors, um, and we can, um, we can talk about how options plays into this, and we yeah. can talk about how options work, is there may be a lot of tactical opportunities here um, to use options, to use trading um, ideas. Uh, to to generate a little income on the side to to fund your core investment strategy, your core investment thesis. You talked about it with um, with silver, and we'll get into that um, you know later later this show. And um, I think that's that's a really good way uh, to to pick up a lot of liquidity and cash and capital in your account. And I think it's a novel idea. Yeah, it really is. And, and um, you know, I don't think we're seeing we're not seeing huge volatility in the market right now. And probably because of this, there's uncertainty. And so we see, you know, dips, an up day and a down day and an up day and a down day. But we're not seeing huge volatility. I haven't seen what the VIX number is looking like, but um you know that's a, that's a good opportunity for options trading mm -hmm. because you can you can trade in that channel and that's perfect for options yeah so um Maybe we should talk about that a little bit. I then. think so, and um, and Maybe just right the VIX. It just just in case you weren't looking, the VIX, which is the volatility index, trades in a range. Generally, there's been a floor around twenty this year. It hit twenty this past week and has just bounced back up, which means right. it has an inverse relationship with the markets, which generally mean markets may be trending down for the next leg. Um, but let's let's talk about options because we've gotten some requests from our from our listeners around the what is an option how do how do options work um you know what what is the point of them how can you make money with them and, and generally what how does this financial instrument function you know we thought thought maybe maybe using a bottle of bourbon um as a, <laughs> as a um as a stand-in for shares of stock um, to explain the idea of what an option is might make a lot of sense. We could have have a little a little bit of fun with this the, bottle of four this roses. Will, here. This will explain it to people that are not yeah. familiar with options trading. Just the basics here: options are the ability to buy and sell uh, an option to buy or sell a given stock. And there's a couple components there. First of all, there's the stock stock price, the equity price. There's a strike date where the option will expire. And then there's the call or the put. And there's an option premium on the calls or puts. And really what the premium is is the price of the option. 
That's all that is. That's all right. So there's a, those are the basic components, and there's all kinds of different ways you can trade those things uh, up and down. And maybe we should go through your example, let's, Ben, and we'll just show the basics of a call and a put. Yeah, let's, and, and maybe just one more little bit of, bit of background before we illustrate, too, is um, I, uh, a call is, is the right to buy. A put is the right to sell. When you buy an option, you are purchasing a right. When you sell an option, you are selling an obligation. Okay, so we'll, yep. we'll, we'll illustrate this here That's with this, this this fine bottle of, of four roses. So, um, do you wanna do you wanna own the bourbon? We'll say you own the bourbon. Okay, I'll own you the own the bourbon. Yeah, I yeah. Like own okay. the bourbon. So, <laughs> so first of all, put a price on that. Let's. What, Let's say this this bottle of bourbon right now um, you could you could pluck off the shelf. Let's say it's twenty dollars a bottle. Just twenty dollars. Just, nice, okay. just a nice round number. So that's our current example. equity price. That is our current stock price for that four roses bourbon is twenty dollars for that bottle. You got it. That's got what it. that's okay. trading for. And I own that. You own that. You you it's mine. It's yeah. you're at your house. You own that. I got it. You picked it up yesterday at the liquor store for twenty bucks. That's yep. the market for bourbon for that bottle of four roses is twenty dollars. And right. you own that. Right. And you know, I really like bourbon. Um mm-hmm. I like bourbon a lot. Mm-hmm. And I I follow the bourbon market. And I think you know what? I think the price of bourbon might be going up. Hmm. And I um And I'm hoping it and does. I'm and you're hoping it does, but I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm interested in potentially buying your bottle of bourbon from you because I think the price could go higher. So let's say, for example, you pick that up, twenty dollars off the shelf, yeah. and I come to you and you say I say, Hey, you know what? I think it's December right now. I think by January 1st, I would like the ability to buy that bottle of bourbon from you for $22. Right? Yes. I, I come to you and I say, I think, I think I'd like to buy that bottle of bourbon from you for $22 because right. I think it could go up to $30 right. by January 1st. Right. So I want in on that action. You're right. And you know what? Maybe I don't have $20 to buy my own bottle of bourbon. Maybe I only have $1. So I come to you and I say, or uh, I say, I'll give you $1 right now mm-hmm. to reserve the right to buy this bottle of bourbon from you in the future. January 1. January 1 for at $22. For twenty two dollars. For twenty two dollars, yeah. okay. But you're gonna give me that dollar. I'm right gonna now. give you that dollar right I'm now. I'm gonna plunk right my one dollar okay. on the table. That dollar yep. is your dollar. You get to keep that right. dollar. You can so, go buy some bubble gum with that. So, that is your dollar. So that is the options premium. That's the option premium. Right. Okay. Me, give me that dollar. The strike price, twenty two dollars. Strike date, January first. January first. Okay. So now, I'm really, really hoping. That bottle of bourbon is going to go up above at least $23. Right. At least $23. Right. So you get your dollar back after you sell it. Right. I I gave you my $1, right? right? I have to buy it or can buy it from you at $22 in order for me to make a profit, potentially to sell it to someone else. 
I need it to go to $23 and one cent. Right. And then I can make a penny on that bottle of bourbon. And I'm hoping that come January 1st, that price of that bottle is under $22. On 23. Or 23. Because now that thing is going to expire worthless. I get to keep my bottle of bourbon and I banked my dollar. Yeah. You won the dollar from me on the bet because so, you you want you want the price of bourbon to go up but you don't want it to go up too quickly too fast too, too fast. soon mm-hmm. you would love it to go to $30 if it stayed at 22.99 on January 1st then it can run up right <laughs> then it can that. run up because then you're going to come back to me and say hey I'd like to buy that bourbon from you at $30 yeah right exactly and I'll give you $2 for that right to buy that at 30. Correct. Yep. Correct. So what we've just described is I have bought a call from you for that bottle of bourbon. Because say if on January 1st, um, the price of that, the market price for that bottle of bourbon is $24. I could say, hey, we had a deal. $22 $22 strike. I paid you a dollar for it. Market price is 24. Right. Hand over the bottle. Here's your $22. Right. Give me this bottle of bourbon now. This is worth $24 to me. I can turn around and sell it to the grocery store or someone else who may want it for $24. And make more. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yep. But the converse happens. Say it stays exactly as it is. 20 bucks. Doesn't move. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to pay you $22 for a $20 bottle of bourbon. That would be ridiculous. Right. I I would be throwing away $2 in addition to the $1 I paid you mm-hmm. to keep it for me. Mm-hmm. So you have sold me a covered call in this transaction. That's right. You own the bottle of bourbon. You sold me the option. I bought the option. What we've just described is a two-way call option. Right. And the seller of the option banks that option premium right away that's the value of being a seller of options now the buyer of the option has the ability to buy that that bottle of bourbon at a price that he thinks is going to be favorable to him as the market price for that bourbon goes up he's then able to buy in at that $22 bottle price and he hopes the market goes higher than that, as he just explained. And it only cost him the option premium amount, the dollar that he gave me, for the right to do that. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Isn't that something? So we both <laughs> win. <laughs> even, even if the strike price hits, the date hits, we both win. Because I was willing to sell him that bottle. Okay. The only issue is you forego just a little bit of gain. That's that's the for the cash right, now. and then that's the, the selling side of options. Your <clears throat> gain is limited, correct? On the call side and the put side, you are immediately your, capping your <clears throat> profits on that bottle of bourbon right. at twenty-two. Right, your losses can be unlimited. They're <laughs> limited on the put side to the equity price and then if it goes to zero so whatever that difference is that's the limitation of your loss on the put side but on the call side if i don't have that covered 
with the bottle of bourbon that I own here or money in my pocket to cover that, my losses could be unlimited. Mm. Because if the price of that bottle skyrockets, okay, <laughs> to $100 or $1,000, right? Yes. And I don't have it covered. I don't have that bottle sitting in my cabinet. You got to go out when, to the market. When Ben comes to buy it from me, because the, the strike price hits and the date hits, he comes and says, I want my bottle, my $22 bottle of Four Roses. I don't have it in my shelf. I got to run out to the store and buy a thousand dollar worth of four roses bourbon <laughs> to sell it back to him for $22. Okay. I've lost yeah. a lot of money. So, so your, your losses on the upside are, are unlimited. So, and you can see <clears throat> how nervous you can get selling an option when you're on the wrong side of the trade. Right. right. Hello, GameStop, anyone? Right. The hedge funds that took mm -hmm. the wrong side of that and went mm -hmm. bankrupt. Mm -hmm. Exactly mm -hmm. what happened. Although a little bit different. They had puts more than calls, but you know, the, the principle still applies. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's a good example. Um do you want to talk about yeah. the put side now or do you have uh, Yeah, you know, let's do we can do the exact opposite on the put side. Let's do the let's do so. the put side. So let's say um let's say you, you still own that that bottle of bourbon. I own that bottle of bourbon, and my cost of owning it was twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. Market price right. is still twenty dollars. Right. And other side hypothetical example. Let's say I think the price of bourbon's going down, and I think it's going to go way down. And um, I come to you and I say, "Hey, you know what? I think that price of bourbon is going to be worth two dollars by January." first and i would like to purchase the right to sell that bourbon for 18 dollars a bottle and i'll give you a dollar for that privilege right now right i'll pluck that dollar down on the table and i'll give you that dollar and that dollar is yours so let's let's say um on the in this example, let's say I'm right this time. <laughs> and let's say let's say the 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 market for bourbon crashes. Let's say China gets angry at Mitch McConnell and, and sanctions all bourbons out of the US and there's a glut of bourbon everywhere and the price of bourbon just craters and the price of bourbon goes all the way down to one dollar a bottle. Sounds great. <laughs> The dream. <laughs> the dream, right? Okay, so we take the opposite side now. And let's say I come to you and I say, you know what? I would like to sell you a bottle of bourbon for $18 on January 1st. Mm -hmm. Current market's at 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. Strike price would be 18 Strike date would be January 1st. And let's say I'm right this time. And the market for bourbon plummets. China sanctions Mitch McConnell. We can't export bourbon. We've got a glut of bourbon <laughs> in the U.S. And we can't get rid of it. Mm -hmm. The supply of bourbon goes through the roof and the prices mm -hmm. collapse. Mm -hmm. Okay. January 1st comes along and the market price for bourbon is $1. Okay. But I bought a put option for $18 a bottle. Mm -hmm. So what I can do 
is I can go out to the store. I can grab a $1 bottle of bourbon off the shelf, and I can come knocking on your door, and I can say, here's your bottle of bourbon. Give me my $18 as agreed upon. That net difference, $17, is profit in my pocket. Mm-hmm. So what we've just described there is me buying a put, you selling a put, you incurring the obligation to buy that bottle of bourbon for me at the predefined strike price at the predefined date. Yeah. Yeah. So as the seller of the put, you had some risk on the table there. If you didn't have that $18. If I didn't have the $18, I'd have to borrow it. You'd have to borrow it. You'd have to borrow it on margin. Right. Exactly. Yep. That's that's some risk on the table for Negative. you. Yeah. Yep. So you got to have the money if you're going to be a seller of a put. Kind of like the strategy you described with yep. silver. Right. Yeah, you should have the money in your bank to cover that. Yeah. When it executes. It's just like yeah. a covered call, same thing. I mean, if you don't have the stock, you don't own the stock, you shouldn't be selling calls. Because that's a naked call. Correct. And you have too much risk involved there. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Yep. And that's why a lot of brokerage firms will not allow you to that, sell calls unless you own the underlying shares, the bottle of bourbon. That's right. When you, If you first open up a, a brokerage account, um, it doesn't take long to get approved to, to write or to sell covered calls. I think they might have a $10,000 minimum it's you have to have like in your account in order to do that. But um, they want to make sure that you're not defaulting or buying on margin and stuff like that. You actually have the money to do that. To get approved to sell puts, whether they're either n- naked puts or covered puts, uh, takes some some funding. You've got to have the funds in your account or demonstrate that you can... You can cover it somehow. That's right. Yeah. Because if you're going to sell the put, that means someone can put those shares on On you at that predefined price. That's where the the put comes from. I can put my shares on you or I can call those shares away from you. That's the the naming convention for the put. Yeah, and if you put those shares on me at $18 for that bottle of bourbon and the market's at one, I've got a huge loss. You do. You do. Exactly right. Because I sold you a $1 bottle of bourbon for 18 Right. That's a bummer. Yeah. Now, let's give the example of what, um, I mean, that's that's one way of getting it. And, you know, there's different time dates that you can do that. You could do January 1, February 1. There's various dates that you can have for ex- ex- expiration dates. And uh, based on time value money, the options can become more valuable. You know, if the market's going up and you've got calls, those premiums are going to go up. If you're on the selling side, the put side, and the market's going down, those puts are going to become more valuable. The option of that put or the option of that call is going to be more valuable depending on the trending in the market. Um, And what a lot of true options traders will do is they try to make money not just on the stock price but on the value of the option itself. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So if you were to buy a call on that bourbon, again, let's go back to your example of $20 a bottle and you want to buy it at 22 so that's your execution 
price or your expert, you know, your strike price is $22. And the option premium on that right now is a dollar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if the price of the bourbon goes up to $30 a bottle before your expiration date, the option value is going to go up as well, mm-hmm. right? Correct. So it would behoove you to close out close out and close just out it. that option yeah. absolutely right yeah, yeah because the value of the option um really is just the differential between the market price and the strike price yeah. of the contract you know, factoring in how close you are to the expiration date because options are a wasting asset um right. they they do have high high risk of expiring completely worthless if you take the wrong side of the trade, right. you can go to zero, right. which is why right. options are so incredibly volatile and right. risky. Right. Right. But they also present a nice way to supplement income. But effectively, to your point, if you really are, are bullish on an underlying asset or bearish on an underlying asset, you can, it's not levering up, that's not the right terminology, but you can really double down potentially you know if you own that bottle of bourbon you can go buy an option a call option from someone else Mm. and if the value goes up not only does your bottle of bourbon become worth more but the option to buy another bottle of bourbon becomes worth more too correct and then what some people do is they actually buy into a general fund (laughs) that only invests in bourbon and you can buy options on that fund too. And you all of a sudden you can have a three X levered fund, hoping that the bottle of bourbon continues to go up and the market f- markets for bourbon continue to increase. Like you see these mm-hmm. Direxian or um, iShares levered ETFs, these three X yeah. ETFs yeah. that move three times the move. Yeah. It's the underlying yeah. asset in one day. That's effectively what they're doing. <laughs> they're just making, making, they're owning the position, then they're putting derivatives on that position, and then. There may be buying another fund that also has those yeah, positions and yeah. putting options on those. And yeah. then all of a sudden, whoa, can you really be moving in one yeah. day? Because <laughs> yeah. that's what can happen. So you can get blown up pretty quick uh, messing around with those. That's not our style. Yeah. That's not our jam. We don't no. we don't mess with those. No. But if you're interested, do your homework, do your research. You can find some out there. Right. Right. Yeah, and there's a, a variety of option strategies. You've got a couple up here. There's uh, straddles. There's there's calendar straddles. There's you know uh, a variety of different ways of using the put and the call against each other. So if you lose on one, you gain more on the other, and uh, you know that that gets into a level of sophistication that the average investor um, really is not going to do. There's also um... There's also the ability to use options just as insurance contracts too. That's another that's another thing um, the average investor generally isn't aware of. Um, say, for example, a major institution um, buys a lot of corn. For example, maybe a bourbon distillery buys a lot of corn, and they have a really nice gain on their underlying corn contracts on their books because the price of corn might have gone up. Well, what they can do is to lock in those gains, they could buy a put 
at an elevated price. So if the market for corn goes down, mm -hmm. the value of that put option increases by an offsetting amount. So they're paying a premium to buy the put to lock in that price. The value of the put contract goes up, even though the price of corn is going down, yeah. they have an offsetting gain because they effectively bought an insurance policy to keep that price yeah. locked in. Right. Right. A lot, lot of companies do that. A lot of Fortune 500 companies do that, that buy commodities. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of major um, hedge funds and, and trading institutions do that too as an insurance mechanism to make sure that those gains are not, not at risk. Right, right. Um, another thing that the you know retail investor like us can do with options is it's an easy way to um, buy or sell a stock that you really want to either own or sell. Um, you know, typically you put a limit order on it, you know, and if it hits that limit, it executes. Um, you can also do this, and I do this with options. So let's say I want to um, sell a stock. Okay. And it's trading at $30 a share and I'm willing to sell it at 35. I'll sell the option. I'll sell the call on that at 35. I get the option premium. If it hits 35, I've sold the stock. I'm out. Okay. That's, that's how a covered call selling a covered call works the same way as a limit order. Mm -hmm. If you just put in a limit order, if I did that with my broker and said, I want to sell this stock at 35, I put in the limit order. I don't get any money for that right. until it hits the $35. <laughs> with the option, I get the option premium while I sit and wait for it to execute at 35 to sell. Yep. That's another, another way you can use them. Yep. And it works the same way on the put side. On the put side. Yeah. yeah. That sounds the, a lot the, less dangerous yeah. too. It is a lot less dangerous. The only um, the only thing that, that you have to think about, too, is if it's a long-term holding and you've sold a covered call, for example, and the price blows through that strike. Yeah, you're going to lose it. You you're gonna, those shares are going to get taken away, and you're going to have to pay capital gains tax, right. um, which is right. a, a risk that suddenly gets put on the table so yeah so be aware of that and, and that's that's why you have to be willing to buy or sell that particular stock so if i i said i'm you know if i'm willing to sell it at 35 i'm willing to pay the capital gains i'm willing to just get out of this stock at that level even if it goes up to 50 i'm comfortable with it at 35 i'm yeah. willing to get out use the option approach to to do that yeah. to execute it i think that's great yeah. yeah but then you know let's um so we covered a lot about investing. What about maybe like the tactical stuff, the trading, how how yeah. you like to use yeah. options? Because yeah. I know one of your favorites is um, is trading options on silver, um, yeah, and I think it. this really fits in well with with our philosophy, is using a known commodity with a known value that moves in a trading range to generate a lot of cash. You know, talk about, like, naked puts a little right. bit more if there. You, if you pull up SLV, uh, you know, SLV, that's an ETF. This is a silver, silver ETF. Silver ETF. So it's, it's paper and silver. Paper silver. Anybody can buy this. I mean, $19.72 a share. It's, uh, it's a good, good price. That's the max, right? 
-hmm. So you saw silver in the heyday was 40 some dollars, but look at the range that it typically trades in. It's somewhere between 10 and 25 more. Again, if you drew a line through that, it's going to be somewhere around 20 and it trades in a pretty tight channel. For the most part. Which, by the way, the big run-up in 2011, if you look at that, I would say that is uh, very, very conveniently close to the debt ceiling showdown that President Obama had with Congress. So, so we probably saw gold at the same spike at same the same spike. time. Right, yep. right. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to see a similar chart with gold, I would imagine. Uh, but anyway, to, to get to Ben's point about actual trading and, you know, kind of generating cash, if you will, again, I wouldn't use this as an investment. I wouldn't buy SLV and park it and let it sit for the next 20 years because you can see from that you're not going to make a lot of money on the share price. It pays no dividend. It's an, it's an ETF. Um, but where you do generate some cash here is through the options trading strategy. And options are puts and calls. Puts and calls, that's the two basics. Calls are the right to buy a stock. A put is the right to sell a stock. So If you are the buyer of that option. If you're the buyer of that option. So if I were to buy calls on SLV, for example, I could buy a call of, um, right. what's the share price, 1972. I'd buy a call of... Oh, I don't know, maybe 20 because the price is trending up. So I could buy the $20 call. If the price exceeds $20 at the strike date, I have the right to then buy SLV at $20 even though the share price is 21 What I would do then is immediately turn around and sell SLV, and I've made a dollar a share. Now, the same thing holds true on the put side, which is selling. So I could sell a, an $18 put on SLV, right? An out-of-the-money put. An out-of-the-money put. If it drops to... Well, back up a second. I can buy a put on SLV, which gives me the right to sell SLV. So I can buy an $18 put as on SLV. If the price drops to 17, I can execute that put. I can sell it at 18. And uh, make a dollar. I made a dollar. Because mm. you have the right, the contract gives you the, the right to sell above market. So I'm essentially, I'm, I'm buying it at 17 and selling it back at 18. So I've made a dollar. That's kind of the approach. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, on the flip side, which is typically what I do, I sell the calls and sell the puts. So I'm acting opposite. I'm acting like kind of the, the broker, if you will. <laughs> a buyer buys a right. A seller sells right. an obligation right. when it comes to options. So for me, if I owned SLV, let's say at uh, let's say I own it at eighteen dollars a share, and I've got so many shares of that, I would sell an out of the money call. This is how I would make money. I would sell an out of the money call on SLV at twenty two, anticipating that the price is not going to hit twenty two. 
right? Right. So right. my my shares that I own aren't going to get called away, but I get the premium value. I bank that. So when the strike date hits, my I keep my shares, but I I've already banked the premium value. Yeah. Okay. 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 Then I can do the same thing on the sell side, the put side. Let's say I I don't own silver. I would go out there and sell a $17 put. I bank that option premium right away. Mm-hmm. You're paying me to buy that put from me. Okay? Okay. That's $17. Right. right. I bank that premium. Let's say the strike date hits and the silver price is $18. I don't have to buy it. Nothing. The the option expires. Worthless. I've banked my option premium. Yeah. Your worst case scenario is that you are an owner of SLV at that strike price that you sold at. And in which case, maybe you're a willing buyer anyway. Well, and, that, and that's the, the key. You don't do... You don't sell puts unless you want to buy it. Unless you want it and you find value at that price and you pick up some cash along the way. But as a disclaimer, you have to have the adequate capital in your account to be selling naked puts like that. Back to the the selling the put thing. I I execute that all the time. But again, I'm looking for stocks that I want to own. I Mm -hmm. want to own. SLV is not one of them. But let's say it's, um, I can't think of anything offhand. Let's say General Mills. We, we've talked about General Mills. Let's say I really, really, really want to buy General Mills, but I'm not quite ready to pay the current price. I'm going to sell a put on it. If it drops to the price that I'm willing to buy it at, I'll, I'll collect in my premium and I'll take it at that price. Yeah. And if it doesn't, if it, it doesn't, keeps going up, you I'll bank do, your premium. Right, and I'll do it again. It's great. The the, and the only challenges for the average retail investor is they have to have enough cash on hand to cover the the risk of being put upon for those shares. Right, but that yeah. but again, if I'm willing to buy General Mills at sixty dollars a share, I should have the money to do you that. You should have the money already yeah. sitting in my bank account somewhere. Yeah. Right. Well, if you want to, why not just why list. not just sell the put? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It works. All right. Well, cool. We're good. Yeah. That's a wrap. Okay. Night all.